Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians is a small book in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote almost half of what we have today as the New Testament. And we're getting in this book to seeing what is God's vision and mission for the church. And so I'm going to start today, different kind of church, part three, reading to you from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. This is a very famous scripture. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Your translation might say abundantly more than what we could ask or imagine, but abundantly beyond. This is maybe the most famous verse in all of Ephesians or Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, one of the two, whichever one you want to pick. But this is a, a popular passage, and all of Ephesians 3 is kind of built around this verse, built around this expectation that Paul sets up that God wants to do abundantly beyond in each and every one of our lives and through us as the church. And so the title of today's message, if you're taking notes, is Abundantly Beyond. You can write that down. Abundantly Beyond. That's the title of the message today. We're going to discover what exactly does that mean. But I want to start to you by talking to you today about expectations. I want to talk to you about different expectations that, that we have when we step into things. Whenever you step into a movie or whenever you go to an event or you're reading a book, typically you have an expectation before viewing that movie or reading that book or going to that event of what things are going to be like. So for example, in December of 2019, when the, the Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker was released, I went in, to be honest with you, with very low expectations. Expectations, Because when Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi came out, I went in with very high expectations. I was very disappointed, and I said, I cannot live with that kind of, you know, post-movie trauma ever again. And so I'm going to go into Episode Nine with very low expectations, and I actually enjoyed it more than I thought that I would. But this is, you know, it's, it's a horrible feeling to go into something with really high expectations, and then your expectations are not met. Have you ever been to an event before? Maybe it's a sporting event and you paid up you know, a lot of money to go to this thing and you were going to cheer for your team and you went and your team lost. It's a, it's a horrible feeling. I, you know, I, I wanted to go see this and I wanted to be a part of the experience of victory with my team. And, and it, your expectations, you're kind of like, oh. You're like, I'm really glad I got the experience, but I feel a little bit deflated. Well, we also have expectations when it comes to church as well, if we were all to be honest. And what's interesting is early on in our faith journey, we usually have expectations of, I'm going to go to church, and God's going to speak, and he's going to do something, and it's going to be amazing. Some of us, we, even if you've been in faith for quite some time, you still have that feeling when you come to New Story, because we just got started in September, we're, we're newer, and it's like, oh, I love this new church, this new vibe, and you know, God's going to, it's going to be amazing, God's going to do stuff. But what I began to notice in my short time in ministry is that after a while, as believers, sometimes we start to allow a sense of the ordinary to come in when it, when it comes to the perspective of a church service on a Sunday morning. Or we start to look at it as kind of mundane. Oh, we're going through the rhythm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and we start to act as if what our role in the church service is is not to come expecting abundantly beyond from God, but what we should be doing is functioning as critics for the church service. 
we become like rotten tomatoes experts for the church service. And all of us have our post-church conversations with our friends and family. Oh, I really liked that song, but I did not like that song very much. I can't believe they sang that song. Did they sing that song from Bethel? I don't like Bethel. I can't believe that they would sing a Bethel song at church. Or, you know, I can't believe that they would do that. Or they, or they, or or, I love that song. That was a great song. Or we come and we, we have these expectations of what the pastor should say. Oh, I really like what the pastor said. It was really good. It was really powerful. And sometimes we get this expectation that what the pastor is supposed to do is just to affirm and confirm everything you already believe and not challenge you. And so we start to have this expectation of, I'm either going to strongly agree with what the pastor says, or I am going to strongly disagree with what the pastor says. Of coming in of, oh, that was great. Oh, he talked about God's love. I'm all for God's love. Oh, he said this. I can't believe he said that. I'm not going back to that church for a couple of weeks. I cannot believe that he would say such a thing. I can't believe that he would say something that would challenge my thoughts and ideas and beliefs. We have these expectations. And what we start to do is we start to push God out of the way of our expectations of what a church service could or should be or what even an experience with God could or should be. And we get sucked into the mundane. We get sucked into the ordinary. But Ephesians 3.20 Paul writes that our God has abundantly beyond in store for us. That means that when we step into even just personal time with God or a story group or a small group or a church service, there is something abundantly beyond in an experience with the divine. That when we gather together as the church, there's abundantly beyond in store. And so many people talk about the problem of consumer Christianity. That one of the greatest issues in the American church is consumer Christianity. That people want to take, take, take. And that is definitely an issue. But sometimes I wonder if critical Christianity is an even greater issue. I find myself there too. Oh, I, like the, I like that message. I like that. You know, I like, and we find as if we, for some reason, what we're supposed to do with church services is dissect them and be critics of them instead of coming and asking for God to do abundantly beyond in and through our lives. And so I want us to talk today about what it means to have an expectation of abundantly beyond. What does it mean that God wants to do abundantly beyond in and through his church? What does that look like for us as the church? What does it look like for us to have an expectation that God is who he says he is and he will move? And he wants to move through our lives and use us in a unique and powerful way. And when I'm talking about having a heart of expectation, please do not confuse that with a heart of entitlement. I'm not saying that we should, you know, be stomping our feet, getting God to do our bidding for us all the time. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is that in a heart of expectation is expecting God to be who he says he is and expecting that he is the abundantly beyond God and he not only wants to do stuff for you, but he abundantly wants to move through you. So what does this look like for us as a church to adopt an abundance perspective and see the abundantly beyond that God wants to do in and through us, his people, the church? What does that look like? Oh, and by the way, if you're new to this whole thing and you've just been coming for a while and you still have that expectation of, oh, I'm so excited. I'm at church. I'm excited. Don't lose that. Keep praying. God, don't let me lose that. Don't let me lose that. Because the heart of a critic can get in so quickly and it'll begin to rot your soul. So don't lose that. Let's let's step into this abundant perspective today. So when we walk through Ephesians 3, I believe Paul is building up to Ephesians 3.20 of what it means for us to have an abundant abundance perspective. So the first thing is this. We as the church are called to abound in the unexpected. We are called and created to abound in the unexpected. 
Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13, Paul is carrying on some thoughts that he had in Ephesians 2. We talked about this last week. In Ephesians 2, Paul makes the argument that Jew and Gentile have been made into one new human in Christ Jesus. That there is one new human in Christ Jesus. There's no longer division. And as he goes on to say in Ephesians 6, there's no favoritism in Christ Jesus. There's now one new human in Christ Jesus. Jesus. And this would have been very unexpected in that time period. This would have been like, whoa, Paul, what are you talking about? There's not the divisions, there's not this. And we talked about this last week, how religion creates hierarchies and the way of Jesus brings people together and creates hope. And Paul continues to elaborate on this idea that the two have made now, been made into one in Ephesians chapter 3. And he also uses himself as an example in Ephesians 3.1. I want to read this to you. Look at this. Ephesians 3.1, Paul writes, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now sometimes we look at this. And we've all heard, you know, good sermons. Maybe not all of us, but a number of us have heard good sermons before of, yeah, Paul's in prison. Take your prison and make your prison your pulpit. That's a good message right there. That's a good message, right? You know, even in the midst of your chains, you can still be a voice for Christ. It's a good message right there. That's, that's a good perspective to have. But there's something deeper going on here as well. Paul is making a point that this invitation to the movement and to the way of Jesus is not only for Jew and Gentile, but it's also for those who would be considered to be social outcasts. Paul was a prisoner. He would have been considered to be an outcast, maybe in some ways even a low life. He's saying, hey, this gospel has been extended to me as well. This love in Christ has been extended to me as well. To be a prisoner, that would have been embarrassing it's easy to, oh yeah, make your prison your pulpit, but really think about this for just a moment. Imagine you had a friend, and your friend came to you and said, my faith, I'm just alive right now. I found this new church, and it's unbelievable. And you said to your friend, oh, that sounds great. What's it like? And they're like, the music. The music's just so good. They're, they're fantastic. They, 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 they sing the best songs. I love it. I connect in such an, uh, an amazing way. And then and you're, oh, that sounds great. I'm, I'm glad you love the music. Well, do they have small groups there? Oh, the small groups. They're the best. I'm challenged. I'm held accountable. I, I'm being pushed and I'm challenged in my faith. It's great. It, I love it. These small groups are unbelievable. And then you say, oh, great. You got good music, good small groups. So do you feel welcome there? Yes. When I walk in the doors, just so welcome. It's the best environment ever. I love it. And then they say, oh, this sounds like New Story Church. Uh, but and, uh, I'm, I'm, but uh, amen, we got the best people. But uh, so, and, and you're like, well, this sounds great. And then you say to them, the big question, well, what's the pastor like? And then they say, I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. And then you, and then you say, well, that's kind of weird. Why don't you know what the pastor's like? Oh, uh, well, he's in prison. You would probably be like, excuse me? You're going to a church where the pastor's in prison. What's going on there? What are you guys involved with? What are you drinking over there? This is weird. And then, but what we know from history is Paul was in prison, but he was in prison for the sake of the gospel. It wasn't for anything sketchy. But imagine trying to explain that. Imagine coming from the position of Paul of I am a prisoner and that's a lowly position. It's a questionable position. But yet the gospel has been extended to me. You see, we have to abound in the unexpected. 
that the message of the gospel to abound in the unexpected has been extended to all people, even the people that you think it shouldn't be extended to. More on that in just a minute. Because Paul continues to build on this idea from Ephesians 2. He writes this in Ephesians 3, 6, and 7. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace and which was given to me according to the working of his power. Paul says both Jew and Gentile have now been made fellow heirs in Christ to Jesus. This is an extension. This is a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through Christ Jesus, through the line of Abraham in Christ Jesus. And the Jewish people at this time, they would have been confused. You mean these Gentiles? This has been extended to them? And it's been extended to, to prisoners like you. What is going on? Because this is not what the people of God in our time period 2,000 years ago, they would have been thinking, this is not what God's people are supposed to look like. This is not what God's people are supposed to act like. This is not what, this is just doesn't, this is foreign. This is weird to us. Maybe they would have been like, this is not what God's people are supposed to smell like. I don't know. I don't know if the people smell different. I'm not sure. But it would have, it would have broke all of their traditions. It would have broke all of their categories. And sometimes I think as the church, we've become a little bit too comfortable and we've closed ourselves off to the unexpected. We say, oh, this is what a Christian should look like. This is what a Christian should act like. This is what a Christian should behave like. This is, and we have all of our categories of what a Christian should be and could be. And yes, we're all one in Christ, but sometimes it's going to be a little bit messy. Sometimes it's going to look a little different. And sometimes we have to be willing to say, God, I want to be open to your unexpected work in and through my life. I want to be open to your unexpected work in and through the church. God, if I have any walls up, if I've built up anything in my heart that is pushing other people away, God, would you please tear that down? Because our traditions, we, and, and we put up these walls and you might be saying to yourself, oh, I don't have any walls. I love all people. Okay, maybe. <laughs> let, 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 me, uh, let me ask you this. Are there any people or groups in society that when you talk about them, you refer to them as those people? And you almost a passive-aggressive derogatory way of referring to people. For example, I'll keep it light today, but not so light. <laughs> those conservatives or those liberals or those vaccine people or those anti-vax people. Anybody like that? It can go even deeper than that as well. It can go into race. It can go into identifications. Those people, those people, those people. If there's anybody in your life that you refer to as those fill in the blank, you might be at a spot where you're building up a hard heart towards a person or towards a group of people. And when we allow that to happen, here's what we're saying. Hey, Jesus, I know your love's for me, but I don't know if it's for them. I know your love's for me, but I don't know if it's for them because they don't look, act, think, smell, walk, talk like I think they should. But we are to abound in the unexpected. It's going to look different. It's going to be uncomfortable. We may not always fully understand it, but we have been called to abound. I love this. People say this all the time. They say, you know, when you get to heaven one day, people are going to be there that you never expected were going to be there. 
Now, that's, that's not in the Bible, but it's something that people say. It's a decent principle to consider. To consider. Why do we have to wait for heaven for that to happen? Why do we have to wait for heaven for that to happen? Is it because we don't want to have a conversation with someone that God called us to have a conversation with? We are to abound in the unexpected. It's going to look different. There are people who, who, who are all different groups, all different identifications of people that we are to abound in the unexpected and extend the love of Jesus to them. Don't allow your labels and limits to cut you off from extending God's love to someone. Come on, church. We can't do that. We don't want cookie-cutter categories to keep us from being Christ-like to people. And maybe you're here, and and you're new to this whole church thing, and you're exploring faith, and you've heard narratives about the church before. Oh, the church, those people, they're just closed-minded, or they don't don't welcome questions, or they're this or that. I would ask you, allow, allow God to take down those labels and limits. Give the church a chance, because in Christ Jesus, there is life available to you, abundant, full life. And don't always believe the prevailing narratives of what other people are saying. We have to take off the labels, take off the limits, and extend God's love and experience Experience the unity and the oneness and abound in the unexpected in Christ Jesus. His love has been extended to all people. Secondly, we are called and designed as the church to abound in wisdom. Abound in wisdom. Something I want to say on this, and please, I hope nobody takes this too personally, but I, I've been doing some reading and listening to some podcasts, and there's this prevailing once again, kind of narrative, that Christians are people who are susceptible more so to conspiracy theories. And I was hearing this more so from critics, but then I started looking at some research from Lifeway and another group called Pastors Theologians. And this is now a group, a, a conversation, and even in Relevant Magazine, this is a, a conversation that is happening within the Christian community now that conspiracy theories are becoming very popular within the church. And here's the deal. If you want to look into conspiracy theories, they can be very fun to talk about. I get it. If, if you want to discuss conspiracy theories or if you believe, that's one thing. But we can do better than being the people who are identified and known as the people who believe in conspiracy theories. We are called to abound in wisdom. Conspiracy theories abound in worry. We should be abounding in wisdom, not in worry. Conspiracy theories bring about paranoia when our lives should be a testimony to God's power. Ask yourself this question. Is my social media feed or my conversations, are they more full of conspiracy theories or more about the testimony of who Jesus is and the power that he has to change a life? We should be abounding in wisdom, not worry. Because in Ephesians 1, verse, Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 9, excuse me, Ephesians 3, 1 through 9, Paul's talking about this oneness that can be experienced in Christ. And then he goes to say this in Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. He said, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's Paul saying here? That when we come together as one, In Christ Jesus, 
that that is a testimony to the wisdom of God to the world around us. That when people come together, whose society says, oh no, you guys shouldn't be talking. Oh, you believe this? Oh, you look that way? Oh, you act that way? You guys should be divided. You shouldn't be together. When we come together as one in Christ, where the world says we should be divided and we come together united, we are giving a testimony to the world around us to the wisdom of God. We are giving a testimony to the wisdom of God that a unity can be created in diversity. That where the world says you guys shouldn't be getting along, Christ says, no, you can come together in Christ. You can come together in me. We are a testimony to a new way of being human. N.T. Wright said this in his commentary on this passage. He said, the rulers and authorities, however, both the earthly authorities and their shadowy heavenly counterparts, always tend to create societies and social structures in their own flat, boring image, monochrome, uniform, and one-dimensional. Worse, they tend to marginalize or kill people or groups who don't fit their narrow band of acceptability. The church is to be, the very, by the very fact of its existence, a warning to them that their time is up and an announcement to the world that there is a different way to be human. There's a new way to be human, that where the world says we should be divided, we can come together in Christ Jesus. There's a unity and diversity that we can experience in this community called the church. And in doing that, we are a testimony to the wisdom of God bringing humanity together. So that's how we abound in wisdom collectively together as the church. But I've had people ask me before, too, how can I walk in wisdom, just walk in wisdom as an individual? What exactly does that look like? Well, I, I've heard a few things before. One of the things I heard was uh, that wisdom is applied knowledge. And I get what, what that means. I mean, that makes sense in some ways. But if you have the wrong type of knowledge or the wrong kind of knowledge, no matter how much you apply it, it's not going to come across as very wise. So I, I get where people are coming from with that, but it, it's not always the best definition. Now, Proverbs chapter 1 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To quickly summarize that, what that means is that in a proper reverence, in a proper relationship with God, we will receive wisdom from God. And the guy who wrote that, Solomon, he was, he was one of David's sons. He became king. God came to Solomon and said, hey, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. And Solomon said, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. That's where the song came from. Didn't everybody know that? Anyways, he, he said, what do you want? And Solomon said, I want wisdom. And God said, hey, because you asked for wisdom, you didn't ask for gold or treasure or any of that, I will give you wisdom. And Solomon became, other than Jesus Christ, the wisest man to ever live. And what happened when he grew in wisdom? Other nations and other leaders and other rulers and other authorities came to Israel to experience this wisdom. Why? Because by the wisdom of God at work within his people, we should be growing in influence as the church. And then very simply put, how do you really get wisdom? Follow Jesus. I know that's a quick Jesus juke right there, but it's just easy. Follow Jesus. The way of Jesus will lead to wisdom. Pra practice the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus, the wisest person ever lived, fully God, fully man. Follow Jesus, and you will find the way to wisdom. And you will find the wisdom that is available to you in Christ. And we should be abounding in wisdom. Instead of being identified with paranoia, Instead of being identified with, with, with being petty, we will display God's power in the wisdom of God collectively and individually. We as the church will move 
forward in wisdom. And in our wisdom, we will have influence. We will have influence as the movement of God that solves problems. We will have influence as the movement of God that goes into our cultures and into the world around us and says, we are going to solve problems. We are going to innovate. We are going to create because we are created in the image of the creator. We will abound in wisdom because that's who we as the church are called and created to be. Come on, church. Then lastly, abound in love. Abound in love. I know this one sounds kind of predictable. This one, of course, we're going to talk about love. We're in church. But Jesus acted in love. He spoke in love. Jesus, in his very essence, is the fullness of love. And as Paul is wrapping up Ephesians 3, he begins to pray for this church. And his final emphasis for them is that they would become a people of love. He writes this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. In extending and experiencing the love of Christ, there is a fullness and completeness that we can find. The love of God brings us to completeness. And I love that Paul says there, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. What does that even mean? To know the love of Christ. And then and before that, he's trying to explain the love of Christ. He says the height, the depth, the breadth. The, the most famous Christian to ever live, the Apostle Paul, he is so mesmerized by the unfathomable love of God in Christ Jesus that he's having a hard time thinking of a way to describe it. He's saying it's, it's, it's wide, it's long, it's, it's all of these beautiful things. And then he's saying, and then to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, there's a love that's available for you that can work through you that is beyond comprehension, but is still accessible to you. Think about that. And then he says, to be rooted and grounded in love. Here, here's a couple quick application questions. This is pretty simple. What are you rooted in and what are you grounded in? What are you rooted in and what are you grounded in? Because whatever you are rooted in and grounded in in regards to your value structure, that's the fruit that you will begin to see within your life. And when you are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, you will begin to see an outcome of love in Christ in your inner self and in your relationships as well. When you're rooted in love, you will see an outcome of love. When you are grounded in love, you will see an outcome of love. But oftentimes we allow competing things to take over our hearts and our minds and we become rooted in them as opposed to being rooted in Christ and we wonder why we're not getting the outcome we thought we would get. But, to be, but if you're rooted and grounded in love, you will always experience an outcome of love. And that this love brings a fullness. It brings a completeness. And this goes back to Ephesians 1.3 where Paul says that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. The church has been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We have been given everything in Christ Jesus. And I know sometimes in my faith journey, I've had moments where I felt 
as if God was maybe holding back from me. Or I felt as if God was hiding from me. Or I felt as if, if I just do this, or if I just do that, then I can experience and discover more of who God is. But in those moments where I thought it was God who was hiding from me, it's really me, like Adam, who is hiding from God. You see, God holds nothing back. God is not dangling something in front of us, dragging us along. No, Ephesians 1.3, he has given us every spiritual blessing. And in Christ giving us his life, he gave us his all. And as he gave us his all, we should have a response of, Jesus, I am giving you my all. Because you abounded in love for me, I am going to choose to submit to you and abound, to love, abound in love for others. That by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we have every spiritual blessing. God holds nothing back. He's given us everything we need. And so we as the church will be a movement, will be a people who are abounding bounding in love. May we be marked by and known by the love that Christ has for us, that he has held nothing back for us, so we are gonna say, I'm giving it all for you. And when, when we walk in that abundance mindset, he will begin to abundantly move through our lives. Back to Ephesians 3.20. Paul writes this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Keep that up for just a moment. Keep this in mind, this abundant power that's been given to us by God. Sometimes we think it's just something for us, but it's something that he wants to do within us. It's a work within us. Don't just come to Ephesians 3.20 expecting God to do everything you want him to do for you. It's more about what can I do through you through you, through you. The abundant work at work through you. And it's not just about something that's to come, it's about something that we can experience now. I would say this about the abundant life. You can throw the next slide up on the screen. The abundant life is not a reality to wait for. The abundant life is a reality to live in now. John 10.10, 10, that Jesus came to give us abundant life. This is a reality to live in now. It's not just waiting, oh, when will it come? When will it happen? No, Christ has come for us. His spirit is within us. We have every spiritual blessing. So the abundant life is a life that you can experience now. To abound in the unexpected now. To abound in wisdom now. That we as the church would abound in love now. That Christ gave us all for us. So we as the church will be marked out as the people who say we are giving it all for him. We are going to make a difference. We are going to write a new story. We are going to be the people who Christ called us and designed us to be. I, I think that all of Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 are building up to this moment in Ephesians 3.20. If we go back in this series to Ephesians chapter 1, where we saw in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 through 3, 
that we have been given every spiritual blessing and then we are set apart. We are adopted into a new family. That the life of an abundant perspective, an abundant life in Christ is a life that is set apart. A different kind of life. And that when we get to uh, later on in Ephesians chapter 1, that we have been set free because he has lavished his grace and his mercy and forgiveness on us, that we are abundantly set free. He doesn't just barely set us free. We are abundantly free to live in the freedom that we have been given in Christ Jesus. And then when we get to Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 13, that we have been given the Holy Spirit, which is an inheritance of the life to come. And when we walk with God, we are building the future of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are abounding in that. We are set up. That's Ephesians 1. All right, let's get over here to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 that we looked at last week. We've been given an abundant life so that we can be people, we can be the church that initiates. We're not just going to sit around waiting to respond to whatever is happening. We are going to boldly step forward in faith and initiate. What does that mean? Ephesians 2, we are going to initiate unity. We are going to initiate unity. Where everyone else is divided, we are going to have peacemaking conversations that might be difficult, and we are going to build the bridge and be the people who initiate unity. And then we're going to, what are we going to do? We are going to be the people who initiate communication. That when other people don't want to have those difficult conversations, we as the church will lead the way as being the people who have the conversations that nobody else wants to have. That we are going to create access points to Jesus. Because Jesus came for us we're not going to make people sit around wondering, where can I find Jesus? No, we will bring Jesus right to you. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, we'll bring Jesus to you. If you need somebody to bring Jesus to you, let us know. We'll pray for you. We'll do it. We will bring Jesus to you because that's who the church is called to be. We will initiate communication. And then lastly, in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, we are built on this cornerstone that is Christ Jesus, that is ever living. He is immovable. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the resurrected King. So we will initiate with vision where the world is exhausted and drained and wondering, I don't know if I have much left in me, especially after a year like the one we just had. We will step up and stand out. And in faith, we will be people who initiate with vision. That we, when we step out, we realize that this is a step of faith. It's intimidating. It's scary. But it's really not as bad as I think because I've been given abundantly everything I need in Christ Jesus to do this. We will abundantly lead the way with vision. And when we do that, we will see that as the church, we will abound in the unexpected bringing people in from all over the place, no matter background, no matter what's going on. This is, this is a movement for all people in Christ Jesus, that we will abound in wisdom by coming together. Our wisdom will be a testimony of influence to the world around us, innovating, solving problems. That's who we are gonna be as the church. And then we will abound in love. Christ was known by love, so we will be known by love as well. There's an abundantly more in store for each and every one of us. And it's not just for someday, it's for right now. And when we declare together that we are setting our eyes on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we will begin to experience together the abundantly more that he has in store for each and every one of us.